this week's parsha is Parsha's Kiseitze. And on the Pasuk, in Parachaf Bey's Pasuk Yud, Lesachreish Bishar Ubechamar Yachtov. There's a Pasuk that says that you're not allowed to plow. When you're plowing your field, you're not supposed to use a shar and a chamar together. You have to have, you could have two shars if you want, two chamars if you want, but to take a shar and a chamar and to hitch them to your, to the, uh, to the tractor, whatever it is that you're using to plow up your field, uh, and to ride them together, that's an avera. You're not allowed to do that. And what's the reason behind that? So if you look in the Chizkuni and in the Dasakain and Mibalitaisis, they bring two reasons, two separate reasons. Both of them are very important for us to know. The first reason is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has mercy on all of his creatures. That's the aside. We know that we have a, something called Sarbalechaim. We have to be very, very sensitive to everybody's uh, needs and everybody's hurt and everybody's pain, including animals, including creatures. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Chaimel al And we know that the ox is the strongest of animals. It's a beast. It's a real strong, uh, strong machine, the ox is. And the chamar is also strong, but it's, it's less strong. And so when you pair together a shar and a chamar, and now they're going, and the shar is like, you know, just barreling down the furrow and like just moving and moving and moving... And the Chamar Nebuch is struggling to keep up with the Shar. And so it causes the, uh, the Chamar to feel inferior, to feel pain, and it's, it's constantly like on this never-ending uh, treadmill, and it just can't stop because the Shar is pushing ahead. And as a result of that, um, it's, it has to expend so much effort to, just to keep up. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want that. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu with his Rachmanus says, okay, there's no mixing a shar and a chamar together. A shar and a chamar cannot plow a field together. That's one pshat. That the happens to be the Ebenezer's pshat. The other pshat, which I really want to focus on this morning, is a pshat that they bring from Rabbi Yisif Karay, the Machaber of Shulchan Aruch, who says as follows, the different reason why not to plow with a shar and a chamar because a shar is mala geira, the layes tamid. A shar has in its anatomy, as part of its functionality, it has uh, the ability to chew its cud, which means that it it eats something, it swallows what it eats, and then I guess on demand, it's able to get it. That regurgitate that so it's back up in its mouth from its stomach and now it could chew on it again and then it could swallow and then it comes back up that's called, that is called malagera and it's always chewing it's always like the, the, you know, these people that chew gum all the time they're always chewing, chewing, chewing that's sort of what a shar is a shar is always chewing always chewing that's not new food that it's chewing but it's regurgitated food the anatomy of a chamar is not that way. It's not designed that way. It doesn't have the ability to be malagera. So a, a chamar eats, it swallows, and then it's, it's not eating anymore. It's not chewing. Nothing is being digested. Nothing is, nothing is being chewed anymore. Cesar Beis of Kari, you know what happens? 
the Shar and the Chamar, they're going to be working together. They're going down the path together of their job. And the Shar is chewing. The Chamar, for its part, is not chewing. It's just looking in its peripheral vision at the Shar. And it says, boy, this Shar is one lucky guy. Right? It's always eating. Baruch Hashem, it always has so much food. And it has such a geschmacka life. I'm starving. I have nothing to eat over here. And he's always chewing. He's always eating. And as a result of that, it causes the chamar uh, tremendous tsar balechayim. causes it pain. Because, you know, I'm not eating, and, and, and it is eating. It's hard. It's very hard to, to fathom that we're both working together, and why should he get to eat and me not? Maybe the master is giving him more food. Maybe he's eating, uh, you know, he brought stuff with him. I don't know, but like, I'm not eating and he is. That's a tsar for a person when they see somebody else, when the, sh- when the chamar sees that the shar is, when, that the shar is what? That the shar is eating and it, not it, that causes pain to it. There's a lot of musr to take from both of these concepts, for sure, but I want to speak about the second one and take away a, uh, a very important lesson for us. Very important. If you look in the uh, Hakdama to the Ktsais, the Ktsais we know is one of the uh, the the bedrock of, of lumdas, the bedrock of, of yeshiva, of learning, is a sefer k'tzayis ha'chayshin. Depending on whatever year, you know, whatever yeshiva is learning, some years the k'tzayis is not used as often. But on the years that we're learning chayshin mishpat, the k'tzayis is the king. It's a major sefer. And the k'tzayis worked very hard on writing his sefer. And when he finished writing his sefer, and it was an instant classic, he had to have it published. Now, publishing is always a very big deal. To have a sefer that, you know, you write out your chidushim, then you have to have it typeset, you have to have it edited, you have to have it arranged properly. It's a very, very big deal. We just go into a farm store, and we buy a safe, and we think, like, you know, that, that, that it's easy. But it's, it's a really difficult thing for anyone that has ever been involved in any any type of publishing or any type of, even if you're doing a, a newsletter, you see how many mistakes can get into it and how many, you know, in a little three-page pamphlet, it's still a tremendous amount of work. But certainly when a person is, uh, when a person is um, you know, writing a whole book and a whole safer as, as intricate as the Ketzeis was, so he couldn't do it on his own. And he invited his brother. He had a brother who was a tremendous Tamil Chacham. His brother wrote a sefer called the Kuntras Hasvekas, also a classic in the yeshiva world. And his brother went with him to the city where the, where the publishing house was. I forgot which city that is right now. But they went together and they spent a very long time. They stopped their whole life for about a half a year, I think it was. And they found a, a printing house, and they first had to edit it, they had to uh, typeset it, and they had to find the right binding and the right type of paper and the right type of ink. And it was a malacha, it was a big malacha. And in the Hakdama to the Ktsais, you'll find that he allowed his brother, after putting so much work into the project, to write his own preface to the Ktsais. And in it, he describes how much work went into putting it out, but he did it because his brother really wanted 
to share with Klal Yisrael his tremendous Tyra. And then the, uh, the Kuntras Hasvekas brings a vart from a great Italian gadol. His name is Rabbi Yehuda Moscato. And Rabbi Yehuda Moscato says as follows. I'm going to quote the Hebrew and then I'll explain to you what it means. If a person would have the ability to go into heaven. Now this is, he wrote this probably about three, four hundred years ago at least. So they didn't have the space shuttle, they didn't have astronauts, cosmonauts, they didn't have the International Space Station. It was a very big chiddish that he was saying this. He says, let's say Luyitzer, a person would have the ability to go into heaven and to, uh, and to be able to see Lirais Bitzvais Milo. Imagine for a second that you have the ability to get into a space shuttle. You have the ability to get into the uh, uh, SpaceX, whatever it is, you know, these p- things people are spending. Uh, private individuals are lining up to spend millions of dollars to be able to go on these space exploration flights. Uh, and there are companies that are built on just, they're not even bringing anything into outer space. They just, people just want to see what's going on out of the, out of the Earth's uh, stratosphere. And obviously, it's very cool to see, right? You go up there, and you're able to see the moon up close. You're able to get nearer to the sun. You're able to see stars, and you're able to see comets, and you're able to see the Earth back from, you know, from a different angle, not being on Earth, but being able to see Earth from a distance. It's very cool. People spend millions of dollars to be able to get that schuss for, I don't know, a couple of hours, Let's say, says Rabbi Damascato, a person has the ability to do that. I'm going up by myself in a, space, in a space shuttle. I'm flying on my own. I'm flying solo. And I have the ability to go and see the amazing things that are taking place in the outer galaxies of the universe. Sidram, the Yashram, able to see the, the way that the all the cosmos are organized and how, how perfect everything is aligned. A person would not have a complete satisfaction in that experience. That's an amazing experience, to be able to be in outer space, to be able to go and to see and to, and to experience all of that, those sights that are mind-boggling sights. Your hano would not be complete yet. Until what? At Shuvu Hena Lesaper Lechaverov Es Hamara Hagadolahu. Until you're able to get back down to planet Earth and tell people about what you've experienced, your Hana is not complete. Your Hana is not complete. And it's so true, right? If something amazing happens to a person, you experience something really, really cool. But you have to keep it to yourself, let's say. It's like, it's annoying. It's not even enjoyable. It's annoying because you really want to tell other people about what you experienced. If, let's say, uh, I don't know, you got to see, uh, you got to sit courtside at a, you know, at a championship basketball game and it was the best game and you, you and, and, you know, but, and let's say there were no cameras and the, no, one, no one saw you. It wouldn't be the same as, as you being able to, you know, to tell people about that you were sitting courtside. Let's say you're in a skybox and you don't, no one sees you. 
But you have a really cool skybox, and you have a, you know, and you have a, all types of food there in the skybox. But nobody knows that you're in the skybox. It's like sort of, uh, it's not, it's not, it's not cool. It's like it's, it's almost. I'd rather have a, a a nosebleed seat because, like, if I can't tell anyone about it, then it's not enjoyable. The enjoyment says Rebbe Mascada, going back hundreds of years. You enjoy things when you're able to tell other people about it. Now this, on the surface, seems like a very bad thing, right? It, we're, we're, this, it's like, oh man, is that really, human beings are so, we're so shallow and we're so superficial that we can't even enjoy something unless we're able to share it and like show off and, and tell other people about it. But the um, Reb Chaim Shmulevitz brings this in one of his mamarim, and he says, this isn't a chisarin in man, this is a madrega of man, this is a maila of man, because a man, in essence, is somebody that shares, we're sharers, we like giving to other people, we like sharing with other people. This is just one manifestation of sharing, that I want to share the experience, I'm not doing it necessarily to show off, I just want to share the experience. I saw the moon up close. I saw a comet. I saw, I saw asteroids bumping into each other. I want to share that experience with you because I want to share with you. It's not a, it's not, he, he twists it and he makes it into a positive. What we would naturally assume from Yudha Maskata, that's a bad thing, that why can't you enjoy something independently? Why do you need other people's like, uh, you know, interest in what you're doing? But that says, this is a madrega, some milo that man has that I want to share were people that need to share their life experiences with other people. Now, having said that, there still is um, a big problem with sharing with people. Because even though you might want to share with people, but what happens is very, very often that we share things with people and inevitably, we hurt people in the process. For example, let's say I go on a, uh, on, a, on a cruise. I go on a cruise. And it's a beautiful cruise, and I'm able to kosher food, and you're able to go to Alaska and, and have beautiful pictures and whatever. If I could take that and enjoy that experience, great. If I want to tell you know, somebody that also goes on cruises about it and, you know, and share notes, that's great. But what happens when I share it with somebody that maybe can't afford to go on a cruise? Can't go on a cruise. He's working day and night for the last 20 years. He can't take a break. Doesn't have the money to afford. Can't afford his own uh, living expenses, let alone to imagine to go on, a, on some luxury cruise. It, it's very hurtful. You're sharing. It's very nice that you need to share, but who are you sharing it with? You're sharing with somebody that is going to immediately be not so happy and might be jealous and might be bitter and might be angry at Hashem. Or maybe he's going to be angry with, uh, you know, with his boss that he's not getting paid enough. Or maybe he's going to be angry, or if it's a she, maybe she's going to be mad at her husband because how come my friends are going on a cruise and you can't afford to take me on a cruise? And as a result of this, there are so many things that, that happen that you're unaware of but by showing off, by being a person that is so into letting everybody know about how great an experience you have, 
you could really cause a lot of damage and a lot of destruction. And I think that's really what the takeaway from this Chizkuni is that we started with this morning. Do not plow with a shar and a chamar together. Why? In his second shot, the Chizkuni says, it's because the shar is always regurgitating its food, it's malagera, it brings it up again, it's always chewing, 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 always, always looks like he's having a great time going to great restaurants, having so much food, having so much gashmias, and the, shah, the chamar looks at him and says, boy, I'm never able to, because it's not malagera, I'm, I'm always hungry, always hungry, look how, look how geschmack his life is, and look how miserable my life is. And we don't want that to happen, so we don't allow the Shah and the Hamar to be hitched together, to be in the same Dalit Amas for too long, because it will make the Hamar feel bad. The takeaway of that is that if you're the Shah, you have to be very sensitive about the Hamar next to you. If you are a guy that's chewing your cod day and night, then you don't have to show it off to people that can't afford it, or that don't have the, the, don't have the means to do so. If the Torah is careful about a chamar, don't we have to be careful about the people that are next to us, that we're in their peripheral vision? Now, back in the day, you know, this shmuz was not, it was a good shmuz to give, and I think I, I gave it, I'll tell you exactly when I gave this shmuz last. I gave it in, uh, well, I, the first time I gave this shmuz was in 2011. Okay, back in 2011, things were a lot I don't think, I think social media, if it existed, it was, very, uh, it was very new. But today, some 11 years later, it's a different world. Every single thing that you do, if you don't put it on social media, it's kilo, it didn't happen. If you go to a fancy restaurant and you don't immediately take a selfie with your steak like that, then you didn't have a steak and you didn't eat out. So you have to take a picture with your steak or just your steak, and then you have to immediately put it up on your, all your statuses, on Facebook, on Twitter, on, on YouTube, on, uh, on Instagram, and on, uh, on WhatsApp. Did I miss any? And then, and then uh, you know, and every platform has to know. You have thousands of people looking at that steak, and then you, you have to say where you are, who you went with, this and that, and you immediately made a thousand people feel like a chamar standing next to a shark. And you know what the funny thing is, and I'm just thinking about this now, that people see you taking a picture of, your, of you eating in a restaurant. They don't know what happened a minute before. They don't know what happened a minute later. You might have been in a very big fight with your wife and then you went to make up and that's why you had to go to that restaurant in the first place. You had a miserable day because of that and you had a miserable night after that. The fight continued. But that moment, that snapshot looked really good. You are on a cruise, you don't know, people don't understand, you know, you really, you know, why you went on the cruise and, you know, you're having a nervous breakdown, whatever. You took a picture, everybody thinks your life is perfect. They don't understand that it's not perfect. They just see that snapshot that looks really good. Isn't that really similar to the, to the Shar? I mean, the Shar, truth be told, is not eating steak. He's not, it's not so geschmack his life. He's eating regurgitated food. His life is probably disgusting. I mean, if you, you know, to have, he's chewing it because it came up on him, but like, imagine what regurgitated food, uh, the Shah's food probably the first time around didn't taste so good. 
but I don't think it got better because it came back up a million times with bile and with, with all the saliva and all that, so it's disgusting. But the, the chamar doesn't know that. The chamar just sees the shark chewing, seems happy, at that snapshot in time, oh wow, he's eating good. Little does the chamar realize that his jealousy is, for, is in naught, is for naught, because there's nothing to be jealous. You don't want to eat that stuff. You want him to take it out of its mouth and, and give it to you, it's gross. But, but it doesn't matter. The Torah is still chas on the chamar because from the chamar's perspective, he's eating. And it looks good. It looks good in that moment in time. It looks geschmack. So that's what we judge it upon. We judge it based on the Torah's chas, the Torah's mercy on the chamar because it thinks that the shar is having a better life than it, even though it's not. And that is the lesson of the day. The lesson of the day is that be very careful. It's not to say that you shouldn't have a good life. If you want to go to restaurants, more power to you. You want to go on cruises, great. You want to, you want to you know, get box seats at the CMSHS, that's wonderful. The problem begins when you start sharing what you're doing with many, many people, and so many of them will see it and be immediately jealous. They'll feel deprived. They'll feel that their life is so not rich because they're looking at your life and your life seems so out of control good. You know, you're driving this car and you're going here on vacation and you're, and you're eating there and you're, and you're, and you're wearing this and you're, and you're shopping there. And like, wow, this guy's living it up. They don't know what's going on with you. And, and the truth is, this, the dirty secret is that, uh, that your life is not so great. If your life was so great, you wouldn't need to show all these things off. People that are really happy with who they are, they don't need to constantly impress other people. So clearly, even just without getting too deep, there's probably a lot going on within the psyche of a person that's constantly sharing everything to begin with. But we still, as people that are, that are living in this world and cognizant of the fact that there's a lot of other people in the world that are not as fortunate as we are, we have to be extremely careful about what we share with people. Because it might be a milo, like Reb Chaim Shalavit says, to share with other people, but you still have to be very sensitive about the subject matter that you're sharing and to whom you're sharing it. It's nice to tell a married person that you got engaged, but sometimes if you tell a person that's, you know, that's, uh, that's single for many years, you got engaged, it's very hurtful. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you shouldn't tell it. You, know, you have to do it, figure out a nice, sensitive way to do it. But it's hurtful. You know, it's hurtful for a person that has a, has a, you know, that has a baby to tell people that have not yet had babies, you know, about, about a simcha. And you have to do, if you do it, you do it in a way that's bakavadik and sensitive. But, but at the end of the day, you know, we have to be very sensitive people. The Torah is teaching us that in this Pasuk. You can't cross-breed, you can't, not cross-breed, but you can't cross-work a shar and a chamar. Because if a chamar sees the shar, even though it has no idea what's going on in the shar's world, it still will bring up, it will bring up jealousy, it will bring up tsar. And that's something that we as Yidden have to be very, very sad. If a guy wants to put on social media, who cares? It's fine. Let him. But for a Ben Torah to be able to have to put up every single thing on his social media, uh, where you're going, what you're doing, who you're spending time with, why you, and, you know, or I, fin- I made a CM on this, and I did the, even good stuff. You have to be careful. It's not for public consumption. You could tell, you know, you want to tell your mother you made a CM, it's fine. If you're telling a guy that's struggling, whatever, they make a, sometimes that's hurtful. You have to know who you're talking to. So as you're sharing your information, which is good, 
be careful, be very, very careful the way that you say it, to whom you're sharing, because it could be downright very, very, uh, very frustrating for people uh, to listen to what you're saying. It's interesting, there's a Mikhtam Elio, Rebel Yo Dessler, in Chelek, Chelek Dalid, page six. He says a very, he asks a good question. He says, you know, we're all familiar with the concept of Ayin Haru. You know, you're not supposed to give people an evil eye, and, and, and evil eyes, whether you believe it in it or not, you shouldn't be like all into it, shouldn't be too consumed by it, but it's a thing. Ayin Haru is something that's brought in Chazal. It's not something that the Gemara speak about Ayin Haru. So there's definitely something to it. Now, there are Paiskim that say the more that you're that you invest in Ayin Hara, if everything Ayin Hara and Hara, then you know, the more you, you put into it, the worse it's going to be. But Ayin Hara is a thing. But he asked the following question, says, I understand um, you know, that it's not good to give other people an Ayin Hara, but that my Ayin Hara should affect you because I'm giving you an evil eye. That means that, you know, I don't know, if a person has a nice new car and I give an Ayin Hara, it's going to get into an accident, Chas Shalom, right? Why did that deserve to happen? Why, how do I have that power on your car to, to affect it? I'm not, I don't own your car. I'm, no sh- I'm not a shutuf with you. Why, why does my ayanara, why do you deserve to get punished as a result of me having like a bad mida on me? I have a tsaris ayan. I put an ayanara on you and therefore you deserve to get punished? Rav Dessler says an amazing yisait and he says that sort of what we're saying today that you do, in a sense, you're inviting upon yourself the Ayin Hara. By conspicuous consumption, when you buy that new car, all right, there's reasons why people buy nice cars. It's fine to buy a nice car. But if your reason for buying a, a good, solid car is because it's safe and, you know, it's, uh, it's gonna, it gets good mileage and, it's, uh, you know, and, and you like, that's fine. That's good. You're nothing, you don't have to live in poverty. But if you're, sometimes people get cars just for the status symbol. You want to be, you know, it doesn't pass for you to drive a, a car unless it's a Lexus, unless it's a Tesla, unless it's a, it doesn't, I can't drive a, you know, a Honda. I have to drive a, and a Honda's a very good car, but like, you know, but I need to, I, I'm, I'm at a certain social, you know, level that I need to be seen driving a certain car. Now, when I drive that car around, when I pull up, you know, when the valet guy pulls up that car for me at a Chasna, and there's 40 people ooing and eyeing, they're giving me an Ayin Hara, but I'm inviting the Ayin Hara. I asked for it in a sense because I wanted that conspicuous consumption. I wanted to buy that car and to live well so that you should take notice. If I'm doing it so that you should take notice, then the punishment for that is that people will inevitably give an Ayin Hara and that might affect you. But it starts with you. It, it starts with you making a decision at the point of purchase. Is, is this something that's going to make people, uh, is it going to raise eyebrows? Is it going to make people feel jealous of me, envious of me? And if it is, and you're still going for it, then that's a problem that you have. You have to make sure that the chamar next to you uh, is not going to be jealous of you, of what you're doing. And if you could live in a nice, normal, healthy, balanced way, you're good. But when you start doing things and showing things and being very, very out there and making sure that as many people know about it as possible because that makes me feel important and chashev and whatever, that's a very big problem. That's a very big problem on many, many levels. I'll give you an example of, a, of somebody that had opportunity 
to you know to really up his 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 standard of living, but didn't because of this. Reb Chaim Kanievsky, lived, and I'm sure many of you have been to his apartment, Rechav Rashbam. It's a very small apartment. I don't know how many bedrooms, but it's like it, the kitchen is like the size of this table, basically. And the uh, you know, and he has a svarim room, and then there's like I don't know, he has a bedroom on one side. Maybe there's one or two bedrooms on the other. So that's nice if you're like a newlywed couple, you know, to have a nice little studio apartment. That's cute. But like when you're raising, I don't know how many kids he has. He has a lot of kids. He was raising kids, and then and then married kids were coming over, and grandchildren. So it's it gets pretty tight. You know, if you have a family, let's say, of this size, and we're in a in a you know in an apartment this big, it's 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 pretty tight. And when he was getting more known, and he became like the up and coming, you know, prince of Tyra, so there were Balabatim, there were wealthy Balabatim who approached him and said, "Listen, he says we want to buy you a brand new dira villa that's like three times the size of this, not far. We'll find a place in Bnei Brak, a couple of blocks away. We're going to get you a dira that's going to be suitable for um, for your." Uh, for your um, for your stature, thank you. So, um, just um, sorry. So, um, so I want we want to get you a dira that's suitable for you. So um, he thought about it. It sounded good. You know, you get three times the amount of bedrooms, and you get a bigger kitchen and a couple of more bathrooms. What could be bad? It's a beautiful thing. Balabatim want to buy it for me. It sounds good. He said no. I'm sure he consulted with his wife first, but he said no. Thank you, but no thank you. They said, why? What's the downside? So I'll tell you what the downside is. He says, there are countless Avrechim B'nei Brak, countless Kail guys, Kail families, Tyrodika families, and they have the same amount of children as I, maybe a little bit more, maybe a, maybe a little less, and they're living in also in cramped quarters similar to mine. But every time things get really tight and the wife is moaning and groaning and saying, we need a bigger apartment, we need a bigger dira, what do they say? Chaim Kanievsky lives in this size dira. He's not complaining. He's able to be the Gadla Adar, Managadar. He has thousands of people walking through his apartment every, you know, every day. If he could do it, we could do it. And then they go back to sleep and you know, everything is good until you know, the next time. But the second that I get a bigger dira... Second, that I get a villa, suddenly every single Kailal family is going to say, Tsarli Hamakim, it's too tight, we can't live here anymore. Everyone is going to start getting restless in their little abode because the Kanievskis have now moved into a bigger. As long as we're, we're in, in, in our little space, everybody could live. But the second that we, we have to like, get bigger, now everybody's going to immediately feel bad. And I can't do that to people. That's a perfect mushal of what this chizkuni is teaching us. You, can't, you're, you have to be aware that there's a chamar next to you. You can't be chewing your cod when it has nothing. You can't live large in a conspicuous manner when other people are not able to. And when you do it, you're inviting upon yourself a lot of bad things because you have to be aware, you have to be sensitive to other people. It's not to say, again, this is not a shmuz about living in poverty. Mitzvah Hashem, you should all be gebenched, you should have parnasa berevach, and you should, have, you should live well, you should have enough you know, food and money and, and living space and have a beautiful house and a beautiful car. I'm not talking about that. 
It's talking about being able to have the sensitivity when you're showing to other people what are you posting online and what are you and what are you telling other people in shul about where you went and what you what you did this summer and 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 where you're going uh, Hanukkah time. All of these things have tremendous ramifications, ripple effects that you don't even realize. This guy comes home from shul and says, you know, to his wife that the you know that the cones are doing this Hanukkah time. She says, yeah, I know. You never take me anywhere. You know, we're not zaycha to that because you had to do this. You had to be in learning. You have to, and because of that, it, it creates tremendous kina. It creates, you know, problems. You know, well, my daughter just got engaged, and and well, you know, you go home. Well, how come our daughter's not engaged? How come our daughter can't find the shidduch? Everything that comes out of your mouth, if you filter it a thousand times, you're still going to hurt somebody. But when you put it out online or you tell people in a public way or you're indiscriminate about who you're sharing because you want, it's more important for you to share your, your life with others more than to think about their lives and how it's going to affect it, that's a problem. Now, I know what I'm saying requires a lot of thinking and it's maybe something new to all of us about you know, how we live and how we talk and how we... But I think that's what the Torah is telling us here that we have to filter our mouths and our speech and, and whatever we say many, many times before anything comes out of it because we're liable to hurt somebody in a very real way. I want to end with a story that, um, that happened in a yeshiva, not our yeshiva, but a different yeshiva, that there was a, a shear, I think it was a 12th grade shear, and in many high schools in 12th grade, uh, the Talmidim start giving chaburas. And sometimes in our yeshiva, we have chaburas. So if, let's say we have a group of, let's say, 10 guys, and we're all, we want to make up our own chidushim. And once a week, let's say every Thursday, you know, one Thursday, I'll give a shir, I'll give my chaburah of a chidush that I came up with on the sugya that we're learning, and then next, next Thursday you'll give it, and the next Thursday he'll give it. And it goes around, and it, it's a rotation. It's a beautiful thing. It's great to be able to work on a sugya well and be mechadish something. There's nothing more beautiful in the life of a ben than being completely immersed and steeped in a sugya, and you have to give the shir. You're the rabbi now. You're going to be coming up with a chiddush. It's a beautiful thing. And in this 12th grade, they did something else. They said that fathers should come. Meaning, so if I'm giving a chaburah this week, if it's my chaburah, so my father would be invited to come and, and listen and get some nachas. Now, one of the boys in the yeshiva, in the shir, his name was Aaron, and Aaron's father, Aaron was a wonderful bacher himself, Aaron's father was a rebbe in the yeshiva that he was a Talmud in. So it wasn't even like, he didn't have to take off a day from work, he didn't have to, you know, fly anywhere, it wasn't, it was mamish, he was down the hall, and when it was Aaron's turn to give a chabura, so, you know, he didn't, his father wasn't asked to come into the chabura. Everyone else's father, you know, up until that point did come. But Aaron's father did not, was not asked to come. And the rabbi thought it was like very strange. The guy is down the hall. For crying out loud, he could probably by recess come, come into the show. He's not, Aaron didn't ask his father to come. Strange. So he didn't know, he didn't ask. He, he figured he has his reasons and he didn't get into it. What happened was that a couple of weeks later, it was Aaron's Chavrusa's turn to give a Chaburah. And the day before he gave a Chaburah, he asked the Rebbe if it would be okay if my mother comes in to give the chad, when I'm giving my Chaburah. So that's true. Why would your mother come in? Anyway, it comes out, and nobody knew this except 
for very few people, including Aaron, that his father had suddenly, like very abruptly, gone off the derech, and they got divorced, chick-chock, and the father was like out of the picture, and the mother was the only one at home, and he wanted his mother to be at, you know, give her a little nachas at this very trying time in her life, and give her nachas, and so he invited the mother to come. He wanted to know if his mother came, and of course the mother came. But then it clicked in the Rebbe's head, the sensitivity of Aaron, that Aaron knew this was going on, and Aaron didn't want that this, his friends should feel bad that his father came to his chabura and that, Aaron, and that the chabrusa's father would not be able to. So he was mevater on his own covet on his own father's nachas, and giving his father that because he didn't want to hurt somebody else. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about living our lives not just for ourselves and not just for what works for me and what's going to make me look good and what's going to make me feel good and what's going to give me the most amount of covered, but that every single decision that we make in life, every move that we do is always through the filter and through the prism of how is this going to affect somebody else? Is this going to make other people feel good or is it not going to make If I'm going to tell you something and it's going to be hurtful, I have to really stop myself from telling it to you. Now, sometimes, you know, you have to know the circumstance. Sometimes if you don't tell somebody something, you know, that could be all the more hurtful to a person. Let's say, you know, let's say a person's child does get engaged and you don't tell somebody else whose child is not engaged, then... You know, you think you're helping the guy, but sometimes you're hurting the guy because he's going to say, ah, I know the reason why he didn't tell me because he knows the mic. You know, it gets a little bit out of hand. So you have to, every single time, you, you need a Besna Gadol, you need a Sanedrin Gadol to pask in every single Shaila that you're doing, you know, to know what the right thing is to do. That's another thing going back to what we were speaking about last week. You need a Rebbe. You need a Rebbe to help you, guide you in these types of issues because you need a certain sensitivity and you need a little bit of a life experience. You need to know a human, the human psyche a little bit be- better than you might know it. And all these things. But these are real shilas. These are real things. How to tell people things. Do I have to tell people things? Should I be telling people things? But certainly, I think, that even if on a one-to-one basis you have these questions and how to do it the right way, but to say it or to post it or to spread it virally, that everybody should know that I'm this and I'm doing that and I won this and I got this promotion, I'm this and now I got this position and everybody has to know it, what you're doing is it's dropping a nuclear bomb on the world. You might not realize it, but that's really what you're doing. You're, you're dropping individual bombs on different people. Every person might react differently. Some people might be very happy for you. But more often than not, people will will not take it the right way, and they will be resentful. And, and as a result of that resentment, they might, you know, it might have a lot of bad ramifications, and that is the site of our parsha. The chamar, Baruch Hu, is worried about a chamar. Why does HaKadosh Baruch Hu care so much about a chamar? Well, he cares about everything, but he really cares about us. He can't spell out in the Torah everything. That's when we need the Rishayim, the Achayim, to, to take the lessons out of these mitzvahs and to tell us quite clearly that the Shar cannot be near the Chamar. The Chamar cannot be near the Shar. Because if the Chamar for a second feels that the Shar has something that it does not have, it's going to resent that. And so if we're the Shar walking through life, we know what, it's like to, what it feels like to be the Chamar, we all have that 
tinge of jealousy when we have a friend that gets engaged before we do or a friend that got that summer internship that you were challenging for or that got into that really spitzy uh, graduate school program or medical school or law school you know or got a big raise or, or you know or bought, moved into a beautiful house or got a you know whatever it is at any stage of life is different but we know that feeling we know what it's like when somebody else aced the test and we, fla- we failed we know it we know that feeling so if we know what the chamar feels like, we also have to know what the shar feels like. We also have to put ourselves in the shar's position because hopefully in life we'll be a shar. We'll be that person that has a lot in Mitzvah Hashem. But we have to realize that not everybody around us has that, those blessings that we do. And we don't want anyone to be resentful. We don't want anyone to be angry with us, with Hashem, with family members, whatever. We don't know what could happen. And so we have to be very, very careful if we're the shar in life, to be careful what the chamar around us sees. And if we could do that, we could be tremendous human beings. That's the sensitivity of a gadol be Yisrael. Chaim Kanievsky wasn't Chaim Kanievsky just because he knew Kalatari Kula about that. He was Chaim Kanievsky because he, took, he had an opportunity to get a villa in real life. Here's a villa. Go, take it. No, I can't. That's a real life story. That's not a, that's not a little story. That's a huge story. That's a million, two million dollar villa that he turned down. Why? Because he, he was looking at the chamar. I'm, if I'm the shah, I've got to worry about the chamar. And there's thousands of chamarim, and I don't mean that in a negative way, in Bnei Brak that are looking at this shah, and they're going to feel bad if I do that. I can't do that. So he deprived himself of something great. This isn't about posting something. So this is about actually making a decision not to take it. Also that the people around me are not going to react in a negative way. They're not going to feel bad. I'm not going to invite my father to, when I give a chabur, because my chabrusa's father is not in the picture and he's going to feel bad. That's an amazing madrega. We could all attain those madregas if we try. And that is, I think, the takeaway from this parasha, mitzvah, and we should all be zeicha, to be sensitive, good, fine, decent people. And when we're decent, HaKadosh Baruch will give us more, kefal keflayim, of whatever we have, all the brachas that we have until now, HaKadosh Baruch will give us more because he sees the sensitivity and the honesty and the integrity that we have in using those brachas that HaKadosh Baruch has bestowed upon us. Have a beautiful Shabbos, Rabbi Shabbos.